Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, I want to welcome you to Blue Ridge Church. My name is Scott. It's great Hi, to have you here. My name is Ty Cat. And that's Ty. Hi, my name is Ty You're going to hear from Ty in just a minute. Uh, but it's good to see you, um, whether you're joining us online or you're here in person. And, and I know it's crowded. I know getting in and out of the parking lot's been kind of challenging. Plus, we don't have stripes on the parking lot. Uh, hopefully, uh, we'll get some traffic paint in this country soon, but we'll get that taken care of. But today, if you're staying for Adventure Fest, you know, just be careful walking out there. And if you're leaving, just, you know, watch kids and stuff because they're really, really excited. But it's great to have you here. We are in the sixth week of our series, Everyday People. And just to bring you up to speed, if you're just joining us for the first time, we've been looking in the Bible at everyday people that God chooses to use to do amazing things and extraordinary things. And really what we're doing too is we're, we're confronting that myth that a lot of us have believed all our lives that God could only use the spiritual elite or the Christian superstars if you will, the heroes of the faith. But what we're discovering is that's simply not true. You know, one of the greatest mysteries of God is that he uses really messed up people to accomplish his plans and his purposes on this earth. And that's good news to me because I'm a messed up person. And I know that's good news to you because you're a messed up person. Really, you look at our church and it's, it's a church of messed up people. You think about some of the issues that we have here at the church. You know, we got marriage issues and relationship issues and commitment issues and anger issues and addiction issues and insecurity issues. You name it, it runs the gamut. But God can use us even with our issues. And so each week we've been taking people in the Bible that God did amazing things through, despite their faults, despite their hangups, despite the sin or the problems in their life. And we've also been looking at people within the church, you know, just in this church that are doing amazing things for God. And I want to show you a video right now. Uh, it's of our sound engineer, Ty, who works with that amazing tech team that we have that brings us the, the video and the sound and the live stream and all the technical aspects every single week, but I want you to watch this with me. And Hi, my name is Ty Cadman. I'm the sound engineer at Blue Ridge Church, and this is my story. Uh, about a couple of years ago, uh, I was tested uh, with just this toxic uh, friendships and relationships. Uh, I was just thinking about self-inflicting pain, uh, anxiety, um, just this overwhelming feeling of self-doubt. Um, that just led me toward a path of brokenness uh, to the point where uh, that I just felt sick. Uh, and just, it led me to the point of almost, almost death. I felt death. And during that time, I was out of church for about five, six years. Uh, I had just completely pushed God out of my life. Uh, I blamed him for every uh, little inconvenience that happened in my life. Uh, and then it just got to the point where uh, I literally just broke down on the side of my bed and I just said to myself, uh, Ty, you can't do this anymore. Uh, with those words, I just put myself back in church. And uh, during that time, uh, a song was playing during the gathering. Uh, and the song said, uh, 
my sin was great, your love was greater. And uh, in that moment, uh, I felt Christ's spirit enter me, and I, from that point forward, declared my life towards Christ. Uh, and over the last couple of years, I've uh, spent my life, uh, gearing my life towards uh, producing and mixing Christian music. Uh, and I, my mission is to bring uh, the one that has left the 99 uh, back to Jesus. Uh, and so uh, over the last six months, uh, I was uh, moving uh, from Pennsylvania to Virginia uh, to feel uh, closer to where I felt home. Uh, to plant my roots, work closer to family. Uh, and so I was in search of this, uh, of a church uh, that gave me a sense of purpose, uh, that gave me a sense of uh, that I could do some good here, that I could do what those did at that church at that time that brought me closer to Christ. Uh, and when I attended Blue Ridge for the first time, I was just overwhelmingly blown away uh, by the support system that's here through the worship team, through the staff, just the people and just the, the family feeling that Blue Ridge Church gave. Uh, and so I was just ecstatic. And so I decided to email uh, Paul, who's the uh, production director here at Blue Ridge Church. Um, and he had immediately responded to me. He said, hey, yeah, come check us out. You know, come serve, us, come serve with us on a Sunday morning. Um, we'd, we'd love to have you. Uh, and so I did. And so every Sunday morning when I wake up and I walk through these doors at BRC, I just reflect back on myself to the point in how broken I was uh, and to use that to bring people closer uh, to Christ. And I'm just so thankful that Blue Ridge Church has given me the opportunity to do that. You know, Ty's an everyday person, just doing amazing things for God each week, and God worked through him to overcome those things in his life that, that he was struggling with. And we've all got those things. We've all got obstacles and challenges and difficulties that we face, but you look through life and people overcome those things to succeed or to win or to do whatever they've set their mind to, to do or whatever God has for them to do. But I think a question that we've got to ask ourselves is what if we don't get over those things completely? What if God wants to use the challenges and the difficulties and the struggles that we have in life to do something in us and something through us? What if God wants to take my pain and my hurt and my regret and my shame and use it to advance his kingdom? And that's really not a hypothetical question because that's exactly what God does. He's able to use the hurts and the pains and the difficulties in our life and, and turn them into good and use them for his kingdom. And that's why the apostle Paul wrote some really pretty sobering words to the Corinthian church, the followers of Jesus at that time when he said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 9b through 10. And if you want to follow along with our notes, they're on the Church Center app if you've downloaded that. If not, you can simply scan that QR code on the back of your seat back and access our notes for today. But Paul said this, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. 
That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Paul's essentially saying, hey, I know. I get it. I'm an everyday person. I'm okay with that. Because I don't find my identity in my weaknesses, in my faults, in my failures. I don't let those things anymore define who I am. That's not where I'm going to get my value and significance in life. I'm going to get it in Christ. And that's what we have to do. We have to find our significance in Christ. And if you were here last week, Hardy, uh, Abraham Hardy touched on that when he talked about mental health. And it's a struggle we all go through, but how we have to look to Christ to find our significance in our well-being in life. Our significance should be the, uh, based on the fact that God chose us and God adopted us into his own family. Our significance should be around the fact that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for our sin so that we don't have to be held accountable for our sin. He died for our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. That means that God doesn't look at us anymore through the lens of our sin, but through the lens of his compassion and his forgiveness and his grace that came through Christ. So Paul, when he said, hey, when I realized how weak I was, it showed me the power of God. It didn't send me out of control and spiraling out of control. It showed me the power of God. And it really forced Paul to find his significance in Christ. So I think a great question that we could ask today is, where do I find my significance in life? Where is it that you find your significance? Maybe you find your significance in your accomplishments. Or you find your significance in relationships, maybe your marriage or your dating relationships or in your children. Some of us, we, we try to find our significance in, you know, our promotions and our finances and, and how much money that we accumulate. Others try to find significance in, you know, social media. How many people liked my, my post on Instagram? How many times am I retweeted on Twitter or what's my snap score today. If we find our significance in things like that, we're in trouble. Because the truth is, we've all got a lot of things to do, right? We've all got a lot of responsibilities. And if we're looking for significance in how well we do those things and in our performance and how much we achieve, we're just one mess up away from losing our value and our significance. If you find all your significance and value in your marriage, what if your spouse comes home one day and says, I'm done? Then you've lost your value and your significance. Not that your marriage isn't incredibly important. It is, but we have to look to Christ and Christ only for our value and significance in life. What if, what if you find your value in your job? Hey, you're one conversation with your boss away from being terminated, right? And then you've lost your worth and your value and your significance. If, you're, if your value's wrapped up in how athletic you are and how active you are, well, Matt's in trouble, right? He's in big trouble. But, but if it is, you're one injury away or you're one diagnosis with your health away from having all your value and your significance stripped away. We don't know from one day to the next what life's gonna bring us. 
Our life can be here one day and it can be down here the next. Look at some people in society whose lives have been turned upside down instantly. A lot of you, you've had things happen in your life that turned your life completely upside down. Last week, a buddy of mine, he's a pastor in Minnesota, and he was out with his wife, and they were out with another couple, and they're having a real nice dinner. And as soon as their food arrived, he gets a call on the phone and says, hey, your daughter has been in a terrible accident, a car accident. They're airlifting her to the hospital. One minute, he's having dinner with friends, and the next minute, his daughter is in ICU fighting for her life. We don't know what's ever going to happen from one day to the next. That's why we don't want to base our value and significance in life on what we do. As a matter of fact, here's learning number one. When our identity is wrapped up in our performance, the only time we feel valuable is when we're performing well. And it's then based on us. And I know we're all guilty of, of wrapping and attaching our identity to things that don't really matter or to the wrong things in life. And then consequently, when we do that, what happens? We end up being disappointed. We end up uh, having regrets in life. We end up having shame in life. And so what I want to do over the next few minutes is I want to look at somebody in Scripture that God decided to use despite the shame in her life. And, and to understand the story, what we got to do is we kind of got to rewind and go back to the book of Genesis. And we got to talk about Abraham for a minute. Now, if you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about Rachel and Leah and Jacob. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. Well, God comes to Abraham and he makes Abraham a promise. He says, your descendants are going to be a great nation. Your descendants are going to occupy a piece of property that I'm going to give them called the promised land. That's a great promise to Abraham. The only problem was God moved really, really slow. It took God 400 years to fulfill this promise to Abraham. It took 400 years for Abraham's little clan of maybe 20, 30, 40 people to grow to a nation of millions and occupy the promised land. But during that time, a lot of things happened to the nation of Israel, right? There was slavery and then there was freedom. There was hunger. Then there was provision. There was rebellion. Then there was God's grace. All through this 400 year period, God was working on the Israelites, trying to get them to trust him, trying to get them to find their value and their worth and their significance in life through him. And after 400 years, finally the day came when God told the Israelites that they were going to move into the promised land. Well, their beloved leader, Moses, had already died. And so Joshua was selected to move the people forward. And God said, look, I'm giving you the land that I promised to Abraham. Now, before I read this story, I'm going to warn you, it's not, it's not very pretty, okay? Because it actually reveals a side of God that we like to pretend doesn't exist. Because the way God intends for the Israelites to occupy the promised land is to push out the people that are currently occupying 
that land. And that doesn't sound very nice. As a matter of fact, it sounds kind of mean. And then when you look at the context of the story, it really doesn't help. But when what we got to remember is for 400 years now, God's trying to get the attention of the Israelites. He's trying to get them to trust him. And as God's working on the Israelites, other people moved into this land and they set up civilizations and, and they really turned it into a terrible place, this land. And the people were called the Canaanites. All right. So the Canaanites move in and, and everything wrong they, they did. You know, there was all kinds of idol worship. It was a pagan nation. There was uh, there was sexual abuse, there was incest, there was child abuse, they were practicing child sacrifice. I mean, the place had become so bad, these people got addicted to Hulu and started watching Barney reruns, all right? That's how bad this place was. It was horrible, and God finally got tired of it, and he said, I'm going to hold these Canaanites responsible for their sin." And I'm going to hold them responsible for their actions. So what he's going to do is he's going to drive them out of the promised land and give it to the Israelites. Here's what God said in Leviticus 18, verse 25. Their actions made the land unclean. And so the Lord is punishing the land and making it reject the people who live there. So really what God was doing is he was taking extreme measures to protect the people of Israel from the Canaanites and from the influence of all these surrounding culture. So Joshua is deemed the leader and he's got this massive group of people that he's supposed to lead into the promised land. So he devises a strategy and how he's going to do that. And I want to read that to you. Joshua chapter two, verse one. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Now, these two guys, these spies they sent out, this is an important mission. This is like a a Navy SEALs type mission. They're going to scout out the land, figure out the best way to take it. And, And somehow... They end up staying at a cat house with a lady by the name of Rahab. And you read this in the Bible, you're like, really? You know, you can't make this stuff up. But God's showing us, look, these people, the people that are moving into the land, these are messed up people. These are people just like you. People with issues, people with baggage, people with things in their life. And if you grew up anywhere near church, you know who Rahab is right? Rahab had this popular title that stuck with her for her entire life. And if you grew up in church, we didn't just call her Rahab. We referred to her like the scripture passage does, Rahab the prostitute. And that means she sold herself to men for money. That was her reputation, which is why when you read the Bible, just about every time we read Rahab's name, it's attached to this title of prostitute. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair at all. There's plenty of other people in Scripture who made terrible, terrible, sinful life decisions. They lived less than honorable lives, but they're never given a label, right? 
We don't read Jacob the deceiver or Job the sometimes complainer. We don't read David the uh, adulterer or killer or Moses the murderer or Paul the stoner. Where is your mind today? Listen, Paul authorized the stoning of Stephen. I don't know what I'm going to do with you guys. But every time, just about every time we hear about Rahab, it's Rahab the prostitute. That's why you don't name your kids Rahab. Think about it. It is a title filled with shame. And when when we have in our minds, we've got this little ladder of shame, don't we? And and we kind of place where the shame of our sin falls. Oh, well, your sin was worse than my sin, so your sin's down here, mine's here, and oh, that sin's really bad, it's down here. The shame and the sin of Rahab we place at the bottom. Prostitution. Let's just, let's just be honest about that. And nobody's, you know, interviewing Rahab for a job and, and looking at her resume and thinking, this is the person we want to nanny our children. Right? Oh, well, she'd make a great addition to the company. Let's hire her. Rahab herself's not even thinking, she knows the shame she has. She's not thinking, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet somebody someday and we're going to get married and we're going to settle down. It is a title that is full of shame and she carries it around with her. Now, shame's a little bit different than guilt, right? We've all got guilt. I'm going to have some guilt this afternoon because I'll probably eat too much ice cream right? Our guilt is attached to our behavior, but shame is something that it's attached to who we are. That's where Rahab's at. Learning number two, if we live with constant shame, like Rahab did, we view ourselves through a distorted lens. Think about this. There are people for their entire life are told by others, this is who you are. This is what you've done. This is who you're always going to be. This is what you're always going to be like. And as a result, there's a lot of people walking around in this world that have a distorted view of who they truly are. That's how powerful shame is. Incredibly powerful. So you got these two spies. They somehow end up at a cat house with a lady by the name of Rahab. And they're not at her house very long. And there's a knock on the door. And it's two soldiers that are looking for these spies. Now, Rahab almost instantly has an opportunity to completely redeem herself. She can turn the spies in. She can be a hero in her community. Maybe they'll forget about uh, the shame in her life, but she doesn't do that. She lies to protect these two spies. And, uh, you know, they've only been there for a couple of hours these spies, when all this drama starts to unfold, and she lies and she tells them, oh, the spies are already gone. They've left. And if she would have been caught lying and protecting those spies, she would have been instantly put to death. And we don't really know until we read further, why would she do that? But it becomes clear when she's talking to the spies why she protected them. Look at Joshua 2, 9, 10, a, and 11. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told him. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. 
No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. The Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. She basically says it's obvious that God's on your side and God's going to give you this land. I'm not going to join my neighbors and go to war against you. But then she does something. She begs the spies for her protection. She basically says, when you come back, would you promise to spare the life of me and my family? And the spies agree to it. And they make these promises to each other. And then the spies leave Rahab's house. And they escape through an upper room. And they go down a scarlet rope. And they tell her, leave that scarlet rope hanging out your window. That way, when we come back and we take Jericho, we'll be able to identify your house and the promise that we've made to you today. And it wasn't much longer, you know, the Israelite army showed up and they, they came and they took the land. They surrounded Jericho. And quite honestly, it was an easy victory because God was giving them the land. All the people were already afraid of the Israelites. That's why God instructed them not to use any, you know, powerful weapons. He wanted the Israelite people to see that it was him and him alone who was giving them the, the promised land and bringing them this victory. And so Joshua 6:22. meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise, go to the prostitute's house. There's that label again and bring her out along with her family. And then Joshua 6.25, so Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house. Because she had hidden the spies, Joshua sent to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. And you, a lot of you know the rest of the story. You know, they march around Jericho, the, the city walls fall, and everybody knows that it's God who's giving Israel this land. But what I want you to know, this isn't the end of Rahab's story. As a matter of fact, this is just the beginning of her story because the moment she leaves Jericho, something incredible happens. She starts hanging around people who love God. She starts hanging around people that find their significance and their worth and their value in God, regardless of their past. See, God gave Rahab significance. God gives us significance. And over time, she became this well-loved member of the Jewish uh, community because she allowed God to release her from her past. And I think that's the lesson when we look at the life of Rahab and the shame that she carried. Our past can be released. We do not have to hang on to our past. Again, why? Because our significance isn't found in how we perform or our past or what we've done. Our significance is found in Christ. Listen, the next time we bump into Rahab in the Bible, you know where it's at? Matthew chapter 1. The genealogy of Jesus. Listen to verses 5 through 6. Salmon had Boaz. His mother was Rahab. Boaz had Obed. Ruth was the mother. Obed had Jesse, Jesse had David, and David became king. That is a truly amazing picture of God's grace. That's a picture of God's greatness. 1,500 years after selling herself to men in prostitution, 
1,500 years after living a life of shame, she's mentioned in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's amazing. Listen to what the author of Hebrews has to say about her. Hebrews 11.31, by an act of faith, Rahab, the Jericho harlot, welcomed the spies and escaped the destruction that came on those who refused to trust God. And then in 11.39, all these people, and the writer of Hebrews is talking about all the faithful people in the scripture, including Rahab, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Rahab earned a good reputation after a life of prostitution because of her faith. That is what God's grace looks like. That's a picture of God's grace. Now, I don't know how long it took for you know, Rahab to completely shake her past. I don't know how long it was before she viewed herself other than through the lens of her past. Maybe it took a, a lot of time. It probably was a long process for her to fully embrace her new life, her new identity, and her new standing with God. But the story of Rahab is a story of God's grace. And it's a story of how God can take my shame and my past and my pain and my shame and my regret and junk and everything else and use it for good. See, God's grace, it moves me and it moves you to life change. God's grace is the, the key. He takes our simple little life and he puts his grace into it and he gives our life new meaning. And then we can do amazing things for him. True grace from God, it's really kind of like a safety net for us because our identity is no longer wrapped up in whether we perform well or pass or fail. It's wrapped up in his grace. And it's God's grace that creates the change in us. It's the grace of God that created the change in Rahab and the, and the change in, in tithe to allow them to do amazing things for God. You know what gets in our way of, of receiving God's grace? It's us. It's our pride. It's our big heads. You know, it's our unwillingness to, to humble ourselves. Oh, I'll just work harder. I'll just, I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to prove myself to God. I'm going to prove myself to the world. That's what we're always trying to do, prove ourselves to the world, prove ourselves to the world. When we get so focused on what the world says, we forget that what God says God says, I'll love you. I'll redeem you. I'll rescue you. I'll forgive you. In Christ, we're already complete. That's what God wants us to learn while we're here. That's all we need. That's all the significance and value and worth we need. Christ. So learning number three, with Christ, we are complete. Romans 8.1 says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Yeah, I can try harder, but I need to try harder to become more like Christ, not try harder to uh, find significance or approval. I've already got that. I have that in Christ because our identity is in Christ. I think this story today, it's as if God is saying, listen, if you're carrying shame, I'm your redeemer. I'm your rescuer. We all are carrying shame and we do not have to carry it. Just like Rahab 
He's saying to all of us, I, I, I want to take your weakness, I want to take your sin, I want to take your faults, your shame, your failure, whatever, and I want to use it for my glory. But as I do that, as I use it for my glory, I want you to start seeing yourself the way that I see you. I love you, I forgive you, I redeem you in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. I guarantee you for Rahab, her life was miserable before these two spies came. I guarantee you things looked bleak for her, the, the shame she carried. She probably didn't even see a way out, but God rescued her. God redeemed her. He made her new. He redeemed her past. She didn't have to carry her past anymore. Just another example of God using a messed up person to do something extraordinary. She is in the genealogy of our Savior. The good news is the same can be true of our lives, and and God can take anything. I don't care what it is in your past that's causing you shame. God can take anything and use it for His good and for His glory. Because why? He redeems us. He redeems us. Let's pray together. God, (laughs) you are amazing. Just the pure fact, Lord, you never, ever give up on us. Like the Israelites, you're just trying to get us to find our value and significance in you and your son. Maybe you're watching today or you're here today and You've been trying hard to prove yourself to God and to earn your way. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. He's the one that redeems everything. He's the one that stood in our place, took all of our sin on his shoulders, past, present, future, and makes us right with God. And when we have Christ, God looks at us and he sees Christ in us. Perfection. Maybe you've always thought you had to work hard to to earn that or to start doing some things or stop doing some things. Listen, we just have to come to Christ however we are, wherever we are. He just wants a relationship with us. So if you've never invited Christ into your life, man, say yes to him today. Or maybe you've been following Christ for a long time. As we're praying, why don't you just commit to God that you're not going to carry that past anymore. You're not going to carry that shame, that regret anymore because he's already redeemed you. He's rescued you. Lord, forgive us when we don't release ourselves when you've already released us. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you can use us. Thank you for the way that you're using these people right now and that you're going to continue to use us in this community and beyond. Thank you for redeeming us. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quick, just a couple of things. August 29th, 2 o'clock at Bissett Park, we're having our next uh, baptism. It's an outdoor baptism in the river, provided we get some rain and uh, a child dedication. Uh, We'll have food, we'll have ice cream. It'll be a great afternoon to come celebrate with these people that are taking their next right step of faith. If you are ready to have your children dedicated 
or be, uh, if you're ready to be baptized, then you can sign up on that electronic connection card, which is on that church center app or on that QR code, or there's a link if you're watching online. And we will do that and celebrate with you that day. Today, starting right now, is Adventure Fest. Uh, make sure you take your kids out there. There's food, uh, there's snow cones, there's ice cream, there's bounce houses, there's all kinds of, there's face painting. Um, I don't know what else is out there, but there's a lot of stuff out there because I saw the confusion coming in the parking lot. But again, I do appreciate your patience uh, with today. You know, we knew putting this event on the back of the service, this was going to be uh, a little bit crazy, but hey, it's been a great day so far. And, and I so appreciate you being here and I hope you have a great afternoon. God bless you. We'll see you outside.